Hello and welcome to the ID Talk Podcast. My name is Peter Counter, and I am the Editor-in-Chief of Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World. November is Face Biometrics Month at Fine Biometrics, a four-week event in which we are delving into the history, the technology, the promise, and the controversy around facial recognition in identification and authentication scenarios. On this episode, we welcome Paravision to ID Talk. Formerly Ever AI, Paravision provides advanced computer vision technology to empower a wide range of mission critical applications. Susan Stover, our Vice President of Digital Content, sat down for an in depth conversation with Paravision CEO Doug Ailey and the company's newly appointed Chief Product Officer Joey Pritikin. Their conversation begins with an introduction to Paravision, going on to talk in detail about how AI and deep learning technologies have affected face biometrics as a whole. After touching on liveness detection and the contactless biometrics experience, Stover, Ailey, and Pritikin delve into the current controversy around some public-facing deployments of facial recognition and offer guidance for an industry currently tasked with walking some delicate ethical lines. So now, with no further ado, I present Susan Stover speaking to Paravision's Doug Ailey and Joey Pritikin. Today, I'm joined by Doug Ailey, CEO, and Joey Pritikin, CPO of Paravision. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having us, Susan. We really appreciate it. Hey, Susan. And this, by the way, is this is uh, I, I'm Doug Ailey, and and I'm Joey Pritikin. Apparently, our voices are very similar, so uh, we'll do our best to distinguish them uh, during the podcast. You should blame Doug for anything that's said improperly. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, so let's let's dive right in in terms of of introducing Paravision. Um, what are your respective backgrounds in biometrics, and how they have, how have they informed your unique approach to facial recognition technology? I'll start here. This is the, uh, this is Doug um, because mine's actually rather rather short uh, between the two of us. So um, I actually have largely uh, sort of an outsider's perspective. So I, I've spent most of my career in um, the sort of business to consumer uh, space at, at brands like. Um, Amazon and um, Zulily and Minted, and um, and came to um, and came to uh, to Paravision um, with that sort of perspective. So, but but the idea is that that face recognition and computer vision can help enhance personalization and and uh, improve customer experiences are kind of near and dear to my heart from that uh, from that background. And then the the other, I guess, semi-relevant experience is that um, I was on the executive team of uh, Jot Networks um, about a, a decade ago, uh, which was a, a voice recognition company that we um, that we sold to Nuance uh, Communications um, that was focused on uh, voice recognition to enhance uh, productivity. So, but Joey's got a much more interesting background here. <laughs> I don't right? think it's more interesting, but it's more of an insider background. Yeah. Um, yeah I've well, been... you're yeah, you're relatively new to Paravision. Yeah, very new. What are you yeah, doing? how old are you? I think I'm two weeks in a day or something like that. Um, but it's awesome to be here. I've been in biometrics and identity my whole career, so about 18 years. And the neat thing is I've been able to see an evolution from um, a fingerprint-centric market to one that was exploring face, uh, iris to one that's really seeing face take off. And and honestly, it's remarkable what's happened over the last five years, in particular, with AI and deep learning specific to face recognition, which is one of the things that really um, got me excited about coming here. What, what I'm seeing is that we're able to deliver outstanding accuracy, throughput, and user experience. And the combination of those and the price performance of those driven by face recognition is allowing us to open up 
new markets and applications, things we've talked about for a long time, but ones that are finally becoming viable. You know, for, for a long time, fingerprint was leader, as I mentioned, and it's accurate and it's convenient, but it's touch-based. And so it's prone to a lot of challenges because of that. On the other side, we've got Iris, which is super accurate, very stable, um, and, and resistant to spoofing and so forth. But it requires specialized hardware, in many cases, specialized databases that doesn't really map to what customers are looking for. So um, face recognition really seems to hit a sweet spot um, as we've seen the market evolve over the last couple of decades. So compared to when you started in the industry, what are the biggest differences in terms of the public perception of face biometrics? I'll, this is Doug. I'll, I'll start from the last two years perspective, and then Joey can probably give us a more um, kind of global perspective over 18 years. But um, we're seeing both partners and you, end users um, forming a, a sort of a more sophisticated uh, perspective or, or approach in terms of the benefits and, and risks with face recognition. So, I mean, obviously, I think it's a watershed point for the industry was when uh, Face ID was uh, was launched on um, on the iPhone. And um, you've got sort of hyper-focused user experiences like that where customers feel like it's just become a natural part of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. And you sort of contrast that with some of the um, mainstream media's uh, focus on um, not the best uses for, for face recognition, and, and including some of the, um, the perspectives on, on how China is implementing uh, that in a sort of surveillance-type environment. So, you know, I think we're, we've still, we're still very, very early days uh, here still, and, um, and we're seeing it evolve to what we think is a, is a more balanced view um, of, of how to use the technology here in the West. But I think Joey's seen a, a much bigger evolution over the course of 18 years. Well, it's cool to that. see the nuance over the last couple of years, right? And so we're talking about things like how do we balance privacy, how do we balance um, security, usability, and all these different things. But it's easy to forget that there's been a pretty radical transformation over the last couple of decades. So biometrics not that long ago was something that was sort of a curiosity. And then um, through various uh, means, whether it be government services on one side or, or things like Touch ID on the other, it became something that people accepted. And then it started to become something that people expected in terms of making um, user experiences better to make their lives easier. Um, and so, like I mentioned before, because of how good face recognition has gotten, it's opened up all of these new applications that were just conceptual previously. And so there's the, the challenges and the opportunities, as Doug mentioned. There's positive awareness. There's people that are having um, terrific experiences, whether it be with consumer mobile devices, or for instance, uh, in, in travel, air travel, cruise ships, things like that. Um, but there's also rightfully concern from the public. Um, what's happening with my data? How's it being used? What are, what, where are the environments where it's appropriate to use this kind of technology and what are the reasonable limits for that? Um, so it's, it's pretty neat to see it all evolving. Absolutely. Well, the talk I, I gave at Money 2020 was focused on UIX, focused biometrics, and talking about how financial services was actually one of the first places where the evolution of, of digital identity and the adoption of biometrics happened. So it's really interesting to see how it's grown from there, you know, expecting that high level of security uh, and convenience uh, that comes with various modalities uh, yeah. and face biometrics in particular. Um, so um, how does Paravision fit within the increasingly expansive face biometrics landscape? Uh, I think probably the, the sort of the best thing to know about Paravision is that we're, uh, we're exclusively an ingredient provider. So, um, so we serve 
uh, OEMs and other people that have uh, engineering teams that are looking to integrate uh, face recognition and other computer vision into um, into their end products. Um, and we serve as as uh, you know an advisor as well as a technology provider in that capacity. As we've seen a, a lot of uh, pretty complicated uh, implementations here. So our goal is primarily to help um, end solution providers. Um, deliver high-performance uh, face recognition um, to their end users uh, across a pretty broad range of, uh, of applications, and uh, and to make sure that that um, that those algorithms are performant not only on the sort of large GPU cluster scale of things, but also uh, all the way out to the um, to the edge. And that's that was actually one of the reasons why we're so excited to bring Joey aboard, as he's got. Uh, a lot of experience with uh, with those edge platforms and um, is a, sort of a hugely valuable asset to the team. Yeah, it's definitely going to be one of the things that helps this market proliferate, both in terms of the user experience and also how you manage privacy and security. You know, I think one of the things that I mentioned from my side is that in addition to um, being a strong ingredient provider, as Doug mentioned, we think there's a gap in the market in terms of trusted companies that deliver high performance face recognition. Um, this market has been largely dominated um, by international players who may not be the right fit for high sensitivity applications, customer focused applications, or otherwise. Um, we're a US company. All of our technology is developed in North America, and this offers pretty huge value. So, you know, on one side, we, we're a trusted partner, but we're also a strong partner. Um, we can be dynamic and responsive in terms of product needs, technical support, even business model. You know, we really pride ourselves on being um, Silicon Valley's approach to this and, 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 and a strong U.S. provider of this capability. This episode of the ID Talk podcast is sponsored by Paravision. Paravision's algorithms excel across a range of challenging scenarios, including cooperative and non-cooperative faces, light and angle variability, blur and pixelation, occlusions, and diversity across phenotype, age, and gender. As a result, Paravision is one of three companies globally and the only U.S.-based company to rank in the top 10 in 50 accuracy benchmarks across NIST's one-to-one and one-to-many face recognition vendor tests, the U.S. government's independent evaluation of face recognition algorithms. Learn more about Paravision's higher standard for face recognition by visiting paravision.ai. And now, back to the show. Speaking about the specific technology, AI and deep learning have taken face recognition specifically by storm. Um, can you talk a bit about how Paravision has leveraged these technology breakthroughs? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, maybe Joey can talk a little bit because we, we've talked at length actually about uh, about some of the infrastructure we put in place on the research side uh, here that, that that we've been doing from the very beginning of the of the company. But um, you know, I think when it comes down to it, uh, being able to um, to implement research with a data set that is um, that is diverse, uh, and balanced, and clean. Um, so we not only have to worry about the sort of the, the technology breakthroughs, but how we take advantage of those um, through uh, through sort of the curation of um, of that data set. And so, you know, our, at the end of the day, our customers get the benefit of of the models that have used that data and the, the breakthroughs, both that we make here internally uh, and the, the sort of the secondary research that we uh, that we consume. You know, and and again, I think that's one of the reasons why why sort of Joey Joey came aboard on, and maybe you can talk Joey about the uh, about sort of what you've noticed in your first your yeah. couple of weeks on the ground here. Well, I mean, I think the the thing that I've been 
I guess most surprised by and pleasantly surprised by is what an efficient um, computer vision and machine learning organization looks like. Um, how to create infrastructure that's able to rapidly turn models. On one side, as, as Doug mentioned, the data set here is outstanding um, and driven toward inclusion in particular so that we have a diverse and robust data set. But what's really neat is to see how quickly we can turn some of um, the latest research. AI, deep learning, um, uh, DNN, CNN, and so forth are really still in their infancy. And so there's dramatic new research coming out on a real-time basis. And so we've created a really awesome infrastructure to rapidly test and integrate um, the latest research, um, both primary research from, from the company as well as secondary research. Um, and like a few interesting examples that I've seen in our, our latest submission to NIST for FRVT, um, I think which goes in in the next few days or has just recently been submitted, um, we're actually including capabilities that were only published in academic research less than a quarter ago. So within wow. a month, we had taken that research, integrated into our models, confirmed substantial improvements in performance, and then it's now making its way to production. As you may know, all of the models we submit to FRVT are production models, and we pride ourselves on that as opposed to having academic models. Um, we test as we fly. Um, another even more extreme example, just last week, a few of our engineers were at the International Conference on Computer Vision. Um, they saw some really neat stuff and have already um, Doug was just saying this, I can't hardly believe it, I've already built it into our models and are testing it and seeing improvements. Yeah, I mean, to, to be clear, I mean, we, we test thousands of models uh, every month to look for improvements. And so, yeah. um, but what was great is that I think three of the papers that were produced there um, were interesting enough for our researchers to, when we try to call the research first, um, as soon as the papers come out, they do a deep dive uh, on the paper, say, well, we think this is interesting or not interesting relative to the work that we're doing here. Um, and they um, they have the, the capacity and the capability to sort of immediately dive into sort of creating models around that. Um, and that's made easier by the infrastructure that our, our CTO, uh, Charlie Rice, and, and the um, and the backend engineering team uh, led by Pierre Massat um, have um, have put together. So yeah, I can't speak highly enough about the about the um, both the deep learning team and the backend engineering team and the um, and the work that they've done to, um, for a small company like ours to stay at the, at the top of these um, you know, pretty important independent rankings. Something I want to talk about is recently high-profile presentation attacks against consumer-grade smartphone biometrics have placed this spotlight on the importance of anti-spoofing and liveness detection. How does Paravision treat the question of biometric liveness? Yeah, I mean, I think this is becoming an increasingly important issue. I mean, as you mentioned, when you were at uh, Money 2020, um, if this is, it, it, when face recognition is um, is backing mission critical systems like banking, anytime there's a big transaction on the other end, um, you want to make sure that they're um, that they're robust to um, to hacking attacks, but attacks both both generative adversarial network attacks, which we can talk about. Uh, and, and which we have a keen interest in, and also um, uh, spoof attacks, uh, just using things like uh, masks and screens to um, to spoof identity. Um, you know, we've taken um, you know an approach to it that um, has been both uh, sort of looking at the different um, at, at some of the different technologies and and, and sensors that we can use um, to to create a robust solution. There, we have both 2D and 3D solutions, and um, and there's obviously um, a whole range of variables that go into um, that go into making sure that that liveness is robust. But um, interestingly, a, a, a guy that um, was was looking at um, uh, he did his postdoc on on searching for exoplanets is the guy that leaves our 
leads our uh, our anti-spoofing attack. He, he was doing that work with NASA and, and MIT, and so um, you know we uh, we think we have a pretty robust solution already, but always looking to improve it. Yeah, liveness becomes a pretty trackable problem when you're used to like, finding exoplanets. It's true, like, true, yeah. true. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's yeah, a big gun. What Doug said there, you know, I think that one thing I'd say we're a software company, but liveness is a hardware software challenge. It's a, a systems mm -hmm. level challenge. Yeah. And so our goal is to be as intelligent and informed about the different sensor technologies, um, things like hyperspectral hyper imaging, depth sensing, and so forth, as we can be, um, so that we can give, point our partners and customers in the right direction. But meanwhile, there's some pretty cool things we can do from a pure software perspective um, that AI gives us uh, an advantage on and, and will continue to be an area of research for us. Face biometrics in particular stands out as a modality because it presents an entirely frictionless end user experience. Uh, just even personally speaking uh, from experience, I, I upgraded my iPhone and now I have face ID as opposed to touch ID and I just prefer it so much more because it's just so, so much, much better, easier. Right? So much better, so much faster. That's that. Yeah. Especially being in Canada, it's colder here a lot of the months. I don't have to take off my mittens to open my phone. Um, all that stuff. Um, so the demand for biometrics across vertical markets is growing and the ease of, of implementation is becoming the major differentiator. What are major challenges in actually deploying face biometrics? Yeah, I mean, I think number one is is making sure that you you know you start with um, with accurate models. Um, you know, we we obviously prefer, and not just because of our of our ranking there, but we think NIST is a great independent arbiter of um, of accuracy there, and we'll we'll beat that drum even if we're not at the top of the rank because it's important to have uh, to have that uh, independent. Um, uh, that independent validation there, um, but it, you know, what's important is that that accuracy um, can't just be in those uh, in those lab settings. So if you're a, a, a customer or your partner, you have to think really uh, pretty closely about what your use case is, and, um, and making sure you think about how you're going to handle uh, different lighting conditions, um, you know, different uh, different poses. Um, you know, is the is the camera angle coming from the top? Is it coming from the bottom? And at what angle of of incidents, um, are your are your customers or the or the, the end users of the system um, likely to be wearing um, hats and glasses, and how does that uh, impact the accuracy of the system? So, um, and then furthermore, making sure that you choose um, and that you, and that you test because even even NIST is focused on the, who their end customers are, which are primarily their their federal government customers. Um, but we have um, where we've actually seen a sort of a pretty big difference in algorithmic performance has been. Um, you know when you uh, when you take it to the field, and so we we always very confidently tell our partners uh, you know, we make it very very easy for them to test and evaluate the uh, the software and the algorithms, and um, and then pair them with um, with our team to make sure any questions get answered. So um, it's still you know it's still I think early days um, for the for the technology. I like Jeff Bezos. I, used to work at Amazon and I always like it's still day one and it's always day one and if we keep that attitude where um, it'll keep us hustling to make sure that we improve um, improve those experiences and think about all the different um, use cases um, and uh, and then one other thing is just you know thinking about um, anything is important for uh, for companies to to think about not just algorithmic bias from the sense of a singular uh, variable like um, like age or gender or ethnicity, but to think about the intersection of those three things. One thing that we've tried to pioneer here is is intersectional testing across uh, age, gender, and, and ethnicity. And I think 
the the kind of the results uh, on NIST um, and the uh, and the fervor with which our our team goes after they kind of speak them speak for themselves. This this is Joey. I I throw in one additional thing, which is beyond the the algorithmic performance, beyond the environment, um, human factors, user interface, hugely um, clear messaging. All of these things are really important. And on one side, there's the the privacy um, side of this. So um, to the extent possible, um, when it's the right application, opt-in, consent-driven um, uh, use cases where the privacy policy is clearly articulated is going to make people feel comfortable with it. They're going to understand what's going on with their data and what's not going on with their data. Obviously, there's yeah. environments that are security focused, like hospitals or airports, secure facilities, um, where there's going to be a different type of messaging. But we think it's it's critical as well. But there's also like really basic human factors things. And one of the, one of the stories that always comes to mind um, at Tassent, where I was previously, we partnered with a company called Human Recognition Systems in the UK to deliver some really great capabilities to London Gatwick Airport. And when we were doing some initial um, rollout of the, the system, there were these e-gates and they had an LCD screen and a barcode reader and it said, place barcode face down. And, uh, and Doug's laughing because he's heard this story. But, um, people, we had several people walk up and put their face on the barcode scanner um, because it said so face down. And like, first of all, it's so horrible that this happened and it's so comical it happened, but that these people thought that an airport would be so awful as to ask them to put their face on like a platen that yeah. somebody else had just put their face on. But it's just, you know, messaging matters and simplicity of messaging and people don't read instructions or when they do, they can misunderstand them. So how do we make it as simple as possible? And that's a big part of um, success in rolling out biometric identity in general. Yeah, yeah, and I mean education is important. And to to be fair to those folks, you're when you're at the airport, you really are subjects. It's like you're a prisoner. Like you have to take totally. off your shoes, yep. you know, standing yep. machines with your arms up. It's all it's all like you know right. new. They were trying to yeah, right. They were just trying to comply, as you said, with what they were being told to do. Unfortunately, exactly. they, they were being told to put their face on a piece of glass. <laughs> yeah, I think we're I think we're gonna hopefully come to a point in the next uh, several years where that kind of experience will be a total thing of the past and it will you'll yeah. just breeze through the airport like there's i mean like that's that's my hope and we're already obviously working on uh, those use cases so i totally agree i mean if you look at uh over the last couple of years on the move biometrics have become viable yeah if you look at what you know the dhs rally as an example and what uh, multiple vendors um i'm proud to say you know tasks are awesome so incredibly well there um on the move, face recognition is really viable. And so these kind of seamless experiences that Doug mentioned, that's that's coming. Actually, it's here in many uh, cases already, but it's, I think, coming at a broad scale. So. And, and I think the customer accepted. That was the thing that was so incredible about the, about the rally. I mean, it was sort of reading uh, some of the reports there is that the customer acceptance uh, of face recognition in that environment uh, maybe because it's so such a hellacious experience. Yeah, uh, is um, is proof. Yeah, uh, I mean, ninety-eight percent customer satisfaction is yeah. like that's Apple numbers. Yeah, yeah, right. It's it's incredible. So I think we're I think we're close there, and um, you know, and thankfully, I think one of the points that Joey brought up earlier, which is that you can use with face recognition, you you don't really need to use specialized hardware, um, especially with some of the more uh, kind of performant um, algorithms out there. You can use uh, some basic camera streams. So, so the, the technology becomes 
um, less invasive um, as it uh, as it progresses. So um, I think those are those are huge advances. Paravision's platform powers mission-critical applications from large enterprises and systems integrators who need face recognition that is accurate in challenging scenarios, provides superior levels of security, real-time performance, and can be deployed in any environment. Listeners of the ID Talk podcast know, identity is everything and everywhere. Paravision's versatile biometrics platform brings secure face recognition with world-class accuracy to video analytics, access control, ID verification, payments applications, and more. Learn more about how Paravision can empower your mission-critical applications with best-in-class identity technology by visiting paravision.ai. Now, back to the podcast. So just to pivot over, um, I'd really like to talk to you about a recent controversy um, in the ongoing facial recognition sort of panic that we're seeing in mainstream media. Um, the UK Home Office was recently revealed to have unknowingly deployed face recognition with an ethnic bias. So, Doug, I knew you were speaking about this before. How does something like this happen, and what are the best practices to ensure face biometrics treat all users and subjects equally? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Actually, I think it, it's you know kind of the question um, that faces the industry. Um, and I think that if I'm if I'm recalling, and I might not be, so apologies here, Susan, if I'm not. But I think the UK Home Office actually may have known about some of the performance uh, shortcomings, but had determined that it was um, that it was kind of good enough. Um, and right. uh, that's the real question: is what is what is good enough, and um, and how do they determine it? And you know, our our perspective um, is that we think standards bodies like NIST and their face recognition vendor tests are are incredibly important. Um, and we're specifically excited for those uh, the listeners that don't know that there's a um, you know an upcoming report on face recognition algorithmic bias um, that's coming out soon that we're um, we're eager to see because we've done a lot of work in this um, in this arena. So um, and I also think it's important to you know I was having this conversation with somebody at a dinner party the other night. Computers are going to be judged much more harshly than humans are, and we just need to recognize that that. The amount of algorithmic bias that is in some of these algorithms is now at the point where it's it, it's far less biased than most humans are um, in their um, in their daily lives. And face recognition is actually now proven to be superior to to human recognition uh, in most use cases as well. So um, that being said, those models are those models and algorithms are always going to be judged judged more more harshly than humans, and they should be. So um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, this is going to be an ongoing discussion, and I think um, it's great to have bodies like NIST that are going to help lead that discussion, and um, and and other industry peers of ours uh, um, who together I think are going to are going to drive this um, this issue out, um, and we're already seeing huge huge advancements there. Yeah, and you know one of the things that this raises is when you look at UK Home Office as an example, where like where were they getting their information from? How did they yeah. determine that it was good enough, right? And so. Yeah. From a vendor that wasn't best of breed, but sort of wanted to normalize their performance. So they were like, okay, look, this is as good as you can expect because we're this brand. The reality is, again, NIST reports will will help guide us there and internal research will help us as well. Um, certain algorithms will perform very well on certain populations and other algorithms perform well across a wide variety of populations. And, you know, one of the reasons I joined Paravision was not just the technology and you know the team but there's also this core belief um, that rooting out algorithmic bias is critical um, and so sort of seeing the sophisticated approach that we've taken 
both in the diversity of the data sets and then the specific machine learning technology that we deployed um, gives me a lot of optimism that, that we can help lead the way. There will be multiple other parties. I mean, we're encouraged to see what the rest of the industry is doing as well, um, but we're glad to be a part of it. So how do you think that, or how can the face biometric vendors work in partnership to ensure the ethical use of this powerful technology while also ensuring we can benefit from its promise? Yeah, I've been I've been hugely uh, encouraged by the um, pretty consistent calls from industry for uh, for balanced legislation here. So, um, and I think everybody's aligned on this. Uh, it's sort of the important thing is to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think we've um, we've seen a lot of mainstream media that because of the way those industries work, they're you know <laughs> sort of prone and encouraged to to throw up sensationalist headlines to drive clicks. Um, but there is, there are incredibly important and valid uses of, of, um, of face recognition, and um, and I think that the the current discussions that are happening at at, at a national level, at least in the uh, in the U.S. and at a state level, are um, are encouraging. And um, you know, I think it's it's also important to note that face recognition and how it's implemented in the United States and Western Europe and and in other uh, sort of democratic countries is going to be very different than. Um, than how it is pursued in uh, in countries like like China uh, and Russia, um, where those privacy rights aren't as um, aren't as in, inherent. So, um, so I think I think it's important to to continue continue the conversation and to end up at a balanced legislation that still allows our um, you know our the, the people that protect our communities to be able to use um, you know 20th century or you know, 21st century uh, technology and the people that deliver great customer experiences, yeah. right? So there's the safety and security side, but there's also the efficiency and personalization, all those things that are gonna be in demand. You know, I think one thing I'd say from a product side that kind of maps to the, the policy side, we'll keep coming back to several themes and these are not unique to Paravision. This is a place where we can really partner with industry. The themes of accuracy, inclusion, security, convenience. How do we deliver excellent performance across all of these? Amen. Right, so on one side, there's a policy discussion that has to go on, but on the other side, we can strive to deliver excellent performance um, that backs up whatever the policy decision ends up being. You touched on, you know, talking about um, in terms of the controversy around facial recognition, just go back to that. With human rights violations in China and calls for face-based surveillance bans stateside, how big of a threat does the controversy around facial recognition pose to the industry? We think this is largely an issue of mindset. You know, we, we don't really think of uh, the, that controversy as a as a threat. We think it's you know an important you know sort of call to have a, a, a good informed dialogue about uh, about the technology and its benefits and challenges um, and you know what what is acceptable. And, and so uh, you know I think that's that's where we where we take it and we're we're encouraged by the dialogue and we're encouraged by the controversy because quite frankly you know. This this should be a, a huge discussion. There are ways, like like most technologies, when they're new, there are you know incredible ways to misuse the, those technologies. And mm -hmm. um, but, but with that, you also have a, a lot of uh, potential benefit. And so um, so yeah, we, we we think of it less as a less of a, a threat to the industry and and more just being encouraged by the by the dialogue that's happening. It also forces us to up our game in terms of the messaging, right? Yeah. So we have to be crystal clear with the public about sure. what the technology is, how it works, where it's being used, how to use it. So some of the, the messaging communications, things I mentioned before, um, play into that. So again, it's it's not really a threat. It's really more of just a, 
it's okay. It's time to put on, you know, um, our, our, our adult suits here and, and be sophisticated in terms of how we deal with a very challenging topic. So moving on to, um, you know, where Paravision is and, and coming to the end of this year, what have been some company highlights and what can we expect next from Paravision? Well, Susan, as we, we've talked about, you sort of before, we're, we're a young company, um, you know, in doing the, in being an enterprise and offering these tools, we're about, you know, kind of two years old and growing incredibly fast. So while we've hit some huge technical milestones that have been pretty public, uh, you know, from our, our sort of ranking on, on NIST, um, and had some huge customer wins. Uh, we're actually, and I am particularly most proud of the of the team we're building. So um, it's such an incredibly diverse group. Uh, you know, great to have Joey here on the team and his background in biometrics. And um, you know, he and I actually uh, were in the same dorm in in college uh, 20 years ago, uh, which is sort of funny to uh, that we're working together now uh, a couple decades later. Um, but uh, but also folks like you know we have we have a business development res, uh, uh, representative who has a PhD in genetics uh, and is just really interested in, in pursuing a, starting a company someday and wants to learn about about sales and we'll, we'll happily take her on board because she's brilliant um, you know I, I mentioned our, uh, some of the folks on our on our deep learning team that have experience that goes well beyond just um, sort of computer vision and face recognition. Actually, interestingly, of all the uh, researchers on our deep learning team, we only really have one that has a specialty in face recognition. Um, and so that to me means we built like an incredibly balanced team and, uh, and, and one that can pursue broader computer vision. Um, and then also a, just a really diverse group of minds. Um, and so that's, um, that's what's been, I think those are the highlights for me. And we'll have uh, some, some pretty interesting uh, technical announcements, new product lines will be announcing towards the end of the year as well. And, um, and as we as we move from uh, from really being known from face recognition to being known for broader mission critical computer vision. You know, having seen companies built from the ground up before, I, I can't echo strongly enough what Doug was saying about the people. I mean, that that that's the difference between a great company and one that that's not going to be as great. Um, the technology is outstanding, but with the awesome people, we have an opportunity to do something really special. You know, in terms of the product and to build on some of the things that Doug mentioned, leveraging that machine learning infrastructure that, that we talked about, that highly efficient machine learning infrastructure to deliver a broader range of CV tools. And, and in particular, one of the things that you could expect in the next few months from us is activity recognition. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great complement to face recognition. It uses the same deep learning infrastructure we have. Uh, and in our initial tests, it's testing extremely well internally. So we're excited to bring that to market and show uh, more tools that, that our partners can use. Um, we're also planning to bring our capabilities to a wider range of platforms, um, both in the back end and, as Doug mentioned previously, at the edge. Um, so the goal is just more broadly to help our partners develop and deploy uh, in a wider range of use cases. I'm going to put one more thing in there because I, I'm told I use this word too too often uh, to describe other other humans, uh, but I think it's true in this case, and I, I think. The word I would use to describe almost to a person, uh, the the team that we have is lovely. Like they're just a bunch. Of, it, it is an absolute joy to come into work uh, every day and work with a set of really lovely and intelligent uh, human beings. And um, and so that to me is always going to be the mark. As long as we keep keep hiring for that, um, we're going to do incredibly well. And so I'm sorry to to sort of interject that, but I think it's 
first of all, it's incredibly important for people to use the word lovely because I'm it, thinking about how we can kind of put it into our company well, branding. Know, the steward's last name is Lieblich, which is actually you know German for for lovely. Lovely. So he's uh, truly lovely. Oh. He's truly lovely. So um, my middle I, name is lovely. And that's you're different. <laughs> that's different. That's an entirely different uh, conversation. But anyway, sorry to throw that in. <laughs> No, no, I think it's lovely. So uh, <laughs> thank you. Just, uh, just to to wrap up here, uh, this conversation, how can listeners get in contact with you to learn more about Paravision and face biometrics? Well, you should people should definitely uh, check out our website at paravision.ai, um, which is P-A-R-A uh, vision.ai. Um, or you can um, you can always reach out to to sales at paravision.ai. Uh, or reach out to us via any uh, social media channels. LinkedIn, especially, our Snapchat game is not big. <laughs> so and I'm probably TikTok's not going to. TikTok's not coming anytime not soon. Not coming anytime soon. <laughs> you guys aren't on the TikTok game yet? No. Yeah, no yeah. Get I'm probably going to pass on TikTok <laughs> for now. <Yeah>. For now. <laughs> <laughs> You're only two years old. You got it. That's like a third year, fourth year sort of thing. There you go. There, yeah, priorities. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to more lovely conversations uh, with you as you move forward. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. This was lovely. Thanks, Susan. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Susan. And so marks the end of this episode of the ID Talk podcast. To learn more about the topics discussed, be sure to visit paravision.ai. The conversation on face recognition continues at finebiometrics.com, where our editorial team is leading the discourse with insightful featured articles and focused daily news. Thank you to this week's interviewer, Susan Stover, and her guests, Doug Ailey and Joey Pritikin. Thank you once again to Legumrad for the use of the ID Talk theme music. Until next time, I'm Peter Counter. Thank you for listening. <laughs>